one of the biggest names when it comes to the world of silver and analysis and precious metals and other things is David Morgan, the Morgan Report. Very pleased to get a chance to chat with him again. David, thanks for finding time. Michael, it's been too long. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm going to start. There's a few things I want to get to, and I'll just tell people. Uh, you've been writing some really interesting things on the energy market that I'm going to get to. But I want to start with silver. Still a lot of questions there. And one of the reasons that silver hasn't, you know, and I'm talking on the big picture, hasn't run away from people. So it's easier for them to contemplate not feeling like they missed out. So we have had a little run recently, but let's start with your sort of broad perspective on what you're seeing in the silver market. Well, there's more interest in the silver market than there's been probably ever before. And this started with the Reddit crowd where they went into this GameStop short position and then that kind of morphed over into the wall street silver community and a lot of people thought well we'll do the same thing that happened in the stock market and of course in the commodities markets it's much much more difficult and a lot of these people that were aligned with the wall street silver philosophy found out that um, you know i was right or the market's different however i was really surprised michael that so many uh people that got into silver through that idea have stuck with it and really uh, become uh, advocates of uh, the silver story. So I think that's part of it is there's more, more awakened people, you might say, as far as sound money, honest money, the economy and everything goes along with uh, the final phases of a great inflation, which we're experiencing through the printing press. Well, I was just going to say what's interesting is some at least the underlying fundamental factors. And one is, as you just alluded to, there's an awful lot of worry about the quality of paper currency in terms of longer term buying power. And we've got so much evidence, I'm not going to rehash it here. But we're also seeing demand go up. I've seen that in silver. Uh, I'm seeing this huge discrepancy between the paper silver market, that would be things like exchange traded funds. But with the physical silver, oh my gosh, it's, it's you know, we've, we've sold a lot more in the terms of paper silver than we ever have delivered in physical silver. So that's another bullish factor. And the other thing that I've been alluding to is really, if you're going to electrify the world, you're not doing it without silver. You know, as simple as that. It's a built-in demand factor. Absolutely. Let's just dwell down on that a slight bit. I mean, yeah. everyone's talking about, you know, lots of things. And most people incorrectly think that, you know, money makes the world go round. Really, it's not true. Energy makes the world go round. And people talk about, well, there's a lot of, um, oh, you can categorize it by how much uh, food there is or how much money there is per population. But really, it's how much energy there is per population. So as a quick thought experiment, let's just do something real wacky and wild, and I know you let me be free. You know, let's just say Tesla is right, and the Tesla coil did provide free energy for the world. Think about that for a moment, folks. What would the planet look like now? Because basically, the higher your energy per capita, the higher the standard of living. So people that were in the subterranean desert or you know any place on Earth that basically has no electricity would uh, be, would have the ability to prosper far more than if they don't have that kind of power. And just saying to get to, I forget the percentage, Michael. I know it's 2 billion people live on $4 a day or less. Most of those don't probably have power or electrical power. And so just to give them that basic, what we consider in the North America is a basic need that everybody has, we take it for granted, just to get it to them would actually put a, a big dent in the silver market because you've got to have silver to provide electricity. And, and let me ask about the production side. Uh, 
you know, we've seen, for example, in the oil market, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, huge oil production capital investment. And the reason is part of it is they're saying, well, we're not going to use your oil in five years or 10 years or 15, whatever. That's what the government's saying. That's hardly an incentive to go out and spend billions of dollars. Not the same for silver. I mean, there's not the government making comments like that about silver. But what is the story with the amount of new silver coming online to meet sort of rising demand? Well, silver's been static more or less within a percent or two for the last five years. And there's been uh, increasing demand. And in fact, the Silver Institute just put out a paper about a month ago that said that there'll be a 200 million ounce deficit for 2022. So there is incentive, but if you can't mine something unless it's profitable. And right now, even the big stalwart like Pan American Silver, that's give or take, it depends on the mine jurisdiction and all that, <clears throat> but it's roughly 20 bucks an ounce. And we're at, you know, just over that now. And you really need good margins in any business. You want great margins to have a very prosperous business. But in the mining business, there was a study done years ago. It's called by Archie. I forget his last name. He worked for Unical or something. Anyway, the point being is that you need to really have a viable business in mining. You need to be able to have your all-in sustaining cost to be one half of what the market price is. So, for example... If your all-in sustaining cost is $20 an ounce, you need a $40 silver price to have a really viable business. And it's not just a joke. There's an asymptotic curve that I put into this paper that's in for our behind a paywall in the members section. It's only four pages long, but it's very significant. I want to go one step further, Michael. And, you know, it's been a big push for the, you know, green movement and all that. And I've read a couple of books. One's from a Canadian. I won't name him. Brilliant guy, but um, not so brilliant on energy uh, because I'm going to tell the truth. And he just didn't think it through this way. He just, you know, had the data he had. And there's nothing wrong with the data he presented. He said, hey, look, solar is costing about the same per kilowatt hour than uh, running a coal plant. So let's just go solar. So I've done this before, but I did it more deliberately because I used my Camtasia and I put it on the screen and I showed everybody the math. So if you go and what, if you go solar, is there enough silver? And the answer is no. If you use all the silver that's available, you would power both the, the okay, for the residential side of America, it would take about 1.2 billion ounces. For the commercial side, it takes about 50% more than that. So you're looking at about two, 1.8 billion ounces. So you add those two numbers and you've got... <clears throat> all of the solar needed to power the United States, both residential and commercial. But that's only 25% of the world's resource base. So you need to triple that to get the rest of the world on solar. In other words, the silver just doesn't exist. You couldn't do it. And it's even worse in other commodities, as we'll probably get to later in our talk. But it is something that these people don't think through. It's like, oh, well, it costs the same. Just go that way. You have no conception of what it takes from a material outlay of uh, not only the mechanics of silver and everything goes into a solar panel, but the amount of labor and the amount of energy it would take to get that. It's, I, I mean, I'm with you completely on that. I found it interesting. I'm going to come back to that in just one sec. But the other side, I didn't appreciate it. So I looked at the numbers and it still was greater than I thought. My goodness, there's not a lot of silver mines out there in terms of market capitalization. Like if the if people turn their attention toward, hey, I want to find a good silver miner, boy, you could buy them all for like a fraction of even something like gold. 
I mean, it's one of the smallest sort of industrial groups uh, out there. You know, it pales in comparison to steel or copper, that kind of thing. That's the other thing is that, as I say, uh, my, my sort of scenario has been, uh, it looks like things sort of trundle along and then all of a sudden they get in the radar and boy, do they move then. And I always say it's too late to wait till then. You know, the moves are too abrupt uh, for that. But I see silver in that category. And so that's why I looked up, my gosh, the market capitalization, if I took all the great silver companies, still isn't much. It's a very small market. And that's why as the crypto thing disrupts even further, and I believe it will, you'll see some of that money come back in the silver market. I did a series called The Crypto Conspiracy. There's 28 podcasts. There's four in the silver psyop. The basic premise, Michael, is that money that would have normally gone into the precious metals went into the crypto space. In gold, it doesn't make a huge difference. It would affect it, but the gold market is 11 times bigger mm -hmm. than the crypto market. But the silver market is pathetically small relative to the gold and the crypto market. So any small amount of money that went into crypto that came back into silver or went from crypto to silver would have definitely an effect on the silver price. And when silver prices go... Um, I mean, I know this is pretty straightforward, but because uh, you've been writing about it for so long, but, you know, look to the seniors first, then the mids and then the more aggressive juniors. Is that, you know, correct oh, sort of battle plan? Yeah, I've got a new special going at silver123.net. I'm giving it $200 off in a 15 minute consultation. And I've got a couple of new members sign up. And one guy's like, well, you know, gold hasn't done anything for 10 years ago. Yep, you're right. It hasn't. But I showed him one of our top picks in the top tier where you put some big money in it. And that stock went from 50 to 150. So you had a 300% gain while gold went from 2000 to 1350 to 2000, a round trip. So if you pick the right miners, this is a royalty company, by the way, uh, you can make money in the sector. You just have to know what you're doing. But there aren't too many people who can make the statement I just made, Michael, and that's why I do what I do. But um, so it's good to have, I look at it like the golden egg and the goose. When you buy a gold coin and you put it away, you bought a golden egg. And that's fine. And not everyone should have some safety. It's, it's wealth preservation. But you really rather have the golden goose that lays those golden eggs. And if you find a, go a goose that actually lays gold, uh, you want to be a, you want to own that company. So you, buy, you become a shareholder. Uh, if you want to get a flying chicken that yaks a lot and doesn't have anything other than the gold paint coming around, then uh, join the normal uh, Gold, con gold consortium that uh, basically, unfortunately, talks a lot about these, uh, what I call penny dreadfuls. And of course, we need junior miners. I'm very fond of Canada. I love Vancouver. and I know we need the junior mining industry. What I'm trying to let everybody know is that the way to make big money in the mining sector, unless you are a financier, is to buy the right companies. And that's what I teach. Yeah. And the other thing in the Morgan report, I just want to make sure people know you recommend, you know, you say this is what's going on in this sector. This is what's going on, you know, with the juniors and me, you know, I'm just letting people know you focus on that, uh, you know, every time you put out a letter and I know in other uh, other platforms, too. Uh, let me jump back to what we were saying about the energy market and get a quick, you know, you had mentioned this is something that I think listeners to Money Talks will be uh, certainly well aware of is for all the talk about the transition you know, all the renewable energy talk, all the electric vehicle talk, there's been no practical plan put forward to get the materials that we will need for all of that. And, and you've done a lot of work on that side. Yeah, this was something we put in a December issue, and it was really a lecture done by a gentleman. I give his credit. I can't remember his name. It's rather hard to pronounce, but we do cite it. He um, it was a two-year study 
And so we listened to the lecture, which is about an hour, hour and a half long, a couple times, and took out the high points for our readers. And what he says, or what we say in our report is, so how much metal don't we have that we can never get <clears throat> to go from hydrocarbons to all electric power? And this is an open and shut case. Look below for how many years of mining are required to fulfill the plans of the green movement. The sustainable energy types are looking to replace all internal combustion cars, trucks, ships, planes, railroads with electric power. Added to the mix is the need for hydrogen fuel cells, EV batteries, wind turbines, and solar panels. So how much metals need to phase out fossil fuels? For copper, 6,700 million tons are needed. So if we take the 320, so we take the rate of extraction from 2019 and project that forward, in other words, all the copper mining we did in 2019, and we kept mining at that rate, how long would it take to get enough copper to go green? It's 328 years. How about nickel? Well, for nickel, it's 518 years. What about lithium? Everybody loves lithium. Well, for lithium, it would take 16,120 years. All right, cobalt. Well, cobalt can replace lithium. It's more efficient. It's a lot of talk. It would take 2,200 years. Um, graphite, uh, 12,000 years. Silver? This is kind of the best one of all. It's only 121 years. So <laughs> this is absolute insanity for anyone that can think. And what was so interesting in this lecture, Michael, is that the gentleman that did this study uh, said that actually one of the bureaucrats, he didn't name him, or to my recollection, he didn't. And all this bureaucrat said was, we don't want to hear that. Come up with something else. I mean, like, come up with what? A new reality? A parallel universe? A VR game? I mean, what are these people talking about? I really, I have total disdain for the political class more and more the older I get. I do like both, I really dislike both sides of the of the fence equally. I mean, red, blue, green, purple, I really don't care. I just dislike them all. They're just such leeches, and they provide no real solutions for anything. They're reactive. They do not respond to the needs of the population at all, in my view. But, but those numbers that you're sharing... It's just such a great, vivid example of there's just nothing practical or realistic being offered here. You know, let alone, by the way, for all the mining, you know, the uh, massive increase in mining to accomplish that renewable grid or the electric vehicle transformation, as they're going to run on fossil fuels to get there anyways. Exactly. They're not mining without it. I, I yeah. just have been flabbergasted in the way you are that we're not talking about some deep philosophical, uh, philosophical difference. No, I'm talking about just straight, straight practicality on this thing. And uh, yeah, and those numbers are do a great job of illustrating the degree to which this is, you know, I just don't see how we're going forward without a, a massive shift, uh, you know, in our demand for something practical. You know, let's start with the public's demand saying, wait a second, that's horse manure. Give me something real because we sure aren't experiencing it. Yeah, we're reading, we're getting to that tipping point. I mean, there's several ways to look at it. One, I'll say, I know I can say it on your show, and it's not to be a uh, fear monger, but, you know, one way you curb demand is by uh, lessening the amount of demand, which would mean lower population. Another way, of course, is to mitigate or enact laws that uh, require that you only have a small living space, like, you know, get your 12 by 12 apartment and that's it. But even there, it goes back to what you just said, Michael. Well, how do you have the energy to tear down all the buildings in, you know, Alberta and BC and 
put in these cubicles. I mean, you know, we've got what we've got. We've got to really use our heads, our brains, and our guts to come up with solutions. So, yeah, you can turn down your thermostat. You can walk more often. You can ride a bike. And all those things do play into it. I don't think there's enough at the margin for that to make a huge difference. It might make a difference in your personal life. But this idea that we're going green is so absolutely absurd. It needs to be shouted at. Thanks for giving me the platform to do it. Because the idea is we do need to revamp the system in many, many ways. And without energy, we're all doomed. Let me just very quickly to finish up, talk about the investment side of this. We talked about silver a moment ago. Do you see opportunity though? Uh, I mean, whether we get there or not, whether it's realistic or not, uh, for example, you know, I, I still think they're going to be a ramp up in, in copper mining as I'm just throwing one example oh, yeah. out, or nickel. And so yeah. does that provide, are you seeing an opportunity for us as individual investors in that area? I am. I'm more looking at, you know, what the market tells me rather than what I want or think about. Uh, right now, the market's signaling the monetary metals are the best bet at this point in time. Copper is probably a third. Uh, but what I really see is, and I wrote in the last letter before this one, that you've got to, the, the best way through a depression is to come up with people, what people really need. Well, we all need energy. So if you could do, let's say, a modular facility that used uh, nuclear reactors in a very small space. In other words, it was such a small amount of radioactivity, but it could still power, let's say, 100,000 homes. And you cookie-cutter these things out and you punch them out like uh, you know, candy bars. I mean, that's a solution. So I wrote about that in, um, in the last report, I believe. Just because, you know, I have younger readers and they want to do something. I said, well, start that business or at least look into it. Now, there's a lot of roadblocks because of the political class. However, as this thing gets to crunch time, that tipping point I mentioned a moment ago, Michael, all of a sudden, you know, there's not so many roadblocks. It's, wait a minute, this thing actually works? Yeah, how much does it cost? It'll cost 100 grand. How many homes does it power? 100,000. I'm just making up numbers, but I'm giving the idea that there's lots of things that could be uh, used today that don't exist because the way the system is structured through the banking elite down to the corporations that dictate the political class that basically pour it all out onto us. And that's not the way it really works in a free society. We're supposed I was to say so much to talk about and so much encouragement for people to look, look for the morganreport.com, morganreport.com, you know, all the information there. David, I really appreciate you finding time and I wish you a very Merry Christmas. Same to you, Michael. It's been too long. I really appreciate time with you and your insights. And I'm glad that we got to uh, put out this information. Thank you. Absolutely.